0: This is Diary of a Nation. I'm your host, Christina Zlotnick. My podcast explores the human experience. When you create a podcast, you're supposed to label each episode as either clean or explicit, so you don't inadvertently corrupt the ears of children or churchgoers. I struggled a little bit with this episode, so I went ahead and labeled it explicit because I used a four-letter word, Anna talked about being pregnant, and we discussed squirrel sex, and we discussed the murder of a gentleman farmer. So, consider yourself warned. I know you've already jumped the gun and hit the play button, but I hope you've also cultivated the correct listening atmosphere for this episode. Ideally, you're wearing flannel snuggled next to a roaring fire with real wood, sipping something from Dunkin' Donuts. Fred Marple is to New Hampshire what Garrison Keeler is to Minnesota. That is to say, Fred has a vivid imagination. He's the official spokesman for Frost Heaves, New Hampshire, a town that flies under the radar, despite his half-assed attempts to promote it. You are the Garrison Keeler of Frost Heaves, New Hampshire, without the sex scandal. And you even have a lake here in Frostheaves, just like Lake Wobegon. But how exactly is Frostheaves superior to Lake Wobegon?
1: Oh my goodness, Christina! I I don't know as I can say it is it's it's superior to to Lake Wobegon. Um, you know we we don't we are not really highfalutin in in Frostheaves. We are kind of mid to low but we love it. That's that's the thing about your hometown, wherever it is. It's like your family. You love it, despite all the quirks and the foibles.
0: Your first name is an acronym, Fred, a.k.a. Frost Heaves Regional Economic Development Council. What the hell was your mother thinking when she named you?
1: Well, my name is Fred. The, The Frost Heaves Regional Economic Development Council came later. So it's not, that's not actually, that just, we just kind of chose that name for the council and it just happened to sound like Fred.
0: In 1938, Thornton Wilder was poking around different towns here, looking to write a play about a quintessential New England village. He came across Frost Heaves, but you guys told him to stick his play where the sun doesn't shine. You sure know how to turn down a good opportunity when you see one.
1: In retrospect, that probably was not a good decision. Uh, Wilder went to the next town over, Peterborough, which later became quite famous as our town, and uh, Frost Cheese literally fell off the map. And we've been trying desperately to put it back on the map. And we have had limited success, which is government talk for absolute failure. <laughs>
0: I moved to New Hampshire in the year 2002, and when we were house hunting, I asked my realtor to show me properties in frost heaves, but she refused. Who exactly are you trying to attract to town? Because it's obvious that I'm not welcome.
1: Well, therein lies the problem. See, we're trying to raise the profile of frost heaves without actually having more people move there, (laughs) if you understand. So yeah, that's because we are Yankees. You understand. We do get a lot of summer visitors, and we like to see them, mainly because they spend money. And we're happy to see them go home at the end of the summer.
0: Frostheaves is a creative name for a town. Most town names are not creative, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. They're stolen from the British, or they're outright copied from state to state. And that's how we end up with 16 Amhersts and 30 Manchesters. But your town, it's one of a kind. How did Frost Heaves come to be?
1: Frost Heaves was uh, founded by some folks from Massachusetts who came up uh, to this region, and they uh, met the uh, the Native Americans who lived here. And um, the name of the town at that time, I, I will not get this right, but it was like Pekinna Wakanap, Boshikan, Pekinna which roughly translated means you can't get there from here. <laughs> and... So these folks from Massachusetts they traded the Native Americans two bales of flannel cloth for the entire town of Frostheaves and to this day the Indians think they got the better side of the deal which is probably true. And then we and then basically Frostheave just came because we had so many Frostheaves that's how the name of the town the English name of the town came about.
0: All kidding aside, half of my audience is from New Hampshire. Most of the other half is from Oklahoma, where I was raised. Then there's this small but growing contingent from India. Hmm. I don't know how that happened, but my point is half of my audience doesn't even know what a frost heave is. Can you help us understand?
1: Uh, Yes, there is a lot of confusion about that, Christina. There's some folks that think it's like a commentary about poetry, you know, like, Whitman stinks and Dickinson barfs and frost (laughs) heaves, you know. Other folks think it's some kind of a frozen dairy treat, a frost heave. I'll have some french fries and one of them chocolate frost heaves. Um, Other folks, there was one lady who was convinced that um, she said, when asked who she was going to vote for in an upcoming election, she said, I don't know who he is, but I'm going to vote for that frost heaves guy. He's got signs everywhere. (laughs)
0: He does. Every winter. Every winter they Even come out. Even when we're out. not electing anyone. That's
1: right. But basically, uh, for you folks from away, uh, frost cheese is what happens in a place where it gets cold, but then it thaws out again. In places, you know, like uh, Minnesota, where it's cold all the time, they don't get frost cheese because it gets cold, it stays cold. But in New England, The ground freezes, and then sometimes when it gets a little bit of a thaw, water percolates up, and it causes cracks in the pavement, and those cracks open up, more water gets in, freezes, thaws it, and it's this repeated cycle, and the ground kind of heaves up, and this creates a little exciting uh, road rally hazard in the middle of the road. That's a frost heave. There are the rare times when it actually goes down, and that's called a frost hove.
0: All it would really take is a layer of clean sand or gravel under a concrete slab, combined with some good drainage, to eliminate completely frost heaves. How do you fortify your town against its enemies, especially those ambitious civil engineers?
1: Well, the, the problem there, uh, Christine, is doing that would require the spending of money. This is something that we are constitutionally unable to do. So that's the answer to that there. If it costs money, we are very unlikely to do it.
0: I get it. It seems like Frost Heaves is a place that lays low most of the year. Yeah. But every winter it pushes its way back into the conversation until spring. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah. We, like Yankees, we, you know, we try to keep a, a low profile, but every once in a while we have to stand up and, and uh, uh, have people take notice of us whether they want to or not. It's the ego. It's it's yes, even Yankees have an ego. Yes sir.
0: The temperance movement is alive and well in my town, in Amherst. In the good old days a man could walk to any number of pubs in our village and stumble home. Nowadays he has to drive next door to Milford, which is the indigenous word for home of the MILFs. Mm. Which is all good and fine if you're a randy kind of guy. But there's an even larger problem. People from Amherst are only allowed inside one pub in Milford. It's called Kilkenny's, and it's a dive bar. Mm. The kind of place where your shoes always stick to the floor, the pool tables are never level, and the bartender doesn't miss a chance to insult you. And ironically, no respectable resident of Amherst would ever be caught dead there. Which brings me to the question... Where do the fine people of Frostheaves gather, and what do you talk about?
1: Well, in terms of um, liquid entertainment, there's only one place, and that is the Peabody Tavern, the Peabody Inn, which has a tavern. And uh, the Peabody Inn is one of these historic inns, which are often quite lovely. But not in Frosty's. The Peabody Inn was built in 1783, and nothing has been done to it since then. <laughs> the, the last big renovation was when they put in them rotary dial telephones. You know, But they do have a tavern, and that's the only place in town if you want to go for a drink. And Elwood Peabody, he has been trying to um, get— some older folks to go out for drinks. You know, it's younger folks that like to go out for drinks. But So he's come up with some drinks for seniors. Like he has, he has one. He, uh, he takes a uh, Tums tablet and he drops it in a, a shot of uh, peppermint schnapps, and he calls that the Pepto-Bismac.
0: They used to do that on TikTok, I think, yeah. with
1: Coca-Cola
0: and Mentos.
1: Similar, similar. Younger kids. Yeah. And then another a favorite drink he makes is uh, Pertussin and Coke. Protestant was an old cough syrup we used to have when we kid. And then he's got another one. You've heard of the hop, skip, and go naked? No. Oh, that's a drink. Do you do I that? think I think it's it's a drink, and I think it's it's, it's not an activity. Got, no, it's got vodka and uh, uh, lemon juice and beer. And that sounds the, the, disgusting. The, 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 well, it is. It's a college drink, you know. But Elwood's come up with this drink for seniors that has vodka, lemonade. Uh, beer and a shot of NyQuil, and he calls that hop, skip, and go to bed (laughs) for seniors. Yes, Out by eight. Out by eight. So that's one of the places that people would go. The other place, of course, is the dump. Which is where people hang out because it's it's only open on Saturdays, and so they if,
0: get mad when you call it the dump though hmm? they don't like it when we call it the dump in our town,
1: well, because the trash doesn't stay there technically it's called the regional transfer right. station, but nobody calls it, everybody calls it the dump. It, people go there on Saturday mornings because it's you know you if you've got to catch up with somebody, go to the dump they'll be there, you know, and in everyone fact, has trash everyone has trash, and everyone goes there and uh Politicians, our local politicians, if they're campaigning, they go to the dump to hand out their literature, which seems kind of fitting to us, make politicians hang out at the dump. but So those would probably be the two. That and the Frost Chiefs Community Church, which is, those are kind of the centers of activity in the town of Frost Chiefs the, the dump, the church, and the tavern.
0: Who are some of your favorite characters here in town, besides yourself? Besides
1: me, I, um, that's what a lot of people would say. <laughs> well, you've got Millard Tuttle. Uh, Millard is a is a old retired guy, and uh, he has a collection of uh, Pabst uh, beer cans, uh, hundreds and hundreds of them.
0: Oh, that must uh, be super
1: valuable. Well, except they're all basically the same. He just, but they're but all. when you have a lot of they're them, they're all special to him, you know. And uh, he's and he's often. Uh, a couple of sheets to the wind, you know. So Mill and his wife Millie is a lovely, lovely lady. They've been married for years and years and years, and she uh, she's nice. There's a woman, uh, Mabel Pillsbury, no relation to the Pillsbury Doughboy, although she does consider herself to be the Julia child of Frosty. She's always trying to come up with some new recipe or something. Like she's worth
0: keeping around. Then she
1: is. Well. For the Christmas, the Snowflake Fair coming up at the church, she always tries to make something new every year. This year she's come up with Christmas surprise cookies, and they have uh, cinnamon, nutmeg, ginger, and cayenne pepper. No, they are surprising. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. So those are a few of the the people. Though there's a whole cast of of characters in the town of Frosty, which is true of every New England town. They're just replete with. Char- we got characters coming out at the yahoo.
0: I know the leaves have already fallen in frost heaves, but I'm wondering if Herb Cullen's farm stand will still ship gift baskets. People like leaves. You know, people in Arizona, they don't have leaves.
1: Right. No, up here we got a lot of leaves. And I. you may be referring to uh, Herb had the, uh, the pick-your-own-autumn-leaves special, bag-your-own-autumn-leaves special. For $2 you get a black plastic trash bag and you fill it with as many leaves as you want and take them home with you. And uh, but and he says these are not ordinary leaves. You know, these are organic, free-range leaves. <laughs> folks from you away just love today, that. You know, people today they always
0: sir. want something they, different they and special. They just
1: love that. So, so you and listening. they'll pay a premium <laughs> for those who are you know leaf deprived. He'd be happy to send them.
0: Frostheaves wants to lay claim to Mount Monadnock, one of the most hiked mountains in the whole world. Mm-hmm. But that view tax must be insane.
1: Yes, sir. They they started this a few years ago and the property tax, um, they add this thing called the view tax. If you got a nice view, you have to pay more, which just just you know, that's the raspberry seed in everybody's wisdom it <laughs> because it's like my goodness, you should have to. Well, you know, Homer Andrews, he got a big farm north of town and he's got a beautiful view of Mount Menandoc, and he got that view tax. And he's, you know what his response was? He no. said, I ain't looking. <laughs> they can't charge me if I don't look.
0: Well, what about when the ice storms come through and give people a view that they never had before?
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, well, that's a good point. Who knows if they are they going to get charged? You know, we we actually like the ice storms because they it takes down a lot of limbs and and uh, and we get free firewood. So that's that's our favorite kind of wood, free. Yeah. You have a song about wood. I do. Yes, sir. It's called Burning Wood." I was walking home one day down the main street, and I kind of sniffed in the air, and you could smell wood smoke, and you know. It's so, the smell of wood smoke is so evocative. Isn't that a lovely word, evocative? It's a big word. It's a big word. I don't often use big words like that, Christina. But Anyway, so I wrote a song called Burning Wood.
0: Would you like to play that for me?
1: I'd be happy to. Lost on the window pane, and the sun rising on this old town again. Thermometer is hanging low, and the sky is heavy with thoughts of snow. But the smell of wood smoke in the air says someone's keeping warm somewhere. It's a fellowship of pride and care. Burning wood is a kind of prayer. All the men down at the coffee shop Are talking about how much wood they've got How long, how dry, how much they paid How long it took to cut it with saw and blade Well, it's ash for kindling, oak for heat apple wood for smell and sweet Cut it early and stack it neat As much of pride as a source of heat And all the men down at the coffee shop Are talking about how much wood they got How long, how dry, how much they paid How long it took to cut it with soil sitting on this old town again, thermometer is hanging low, and the sky is heavy with thoughts of snow.
0: Fred, you make me love New Hampshire even more than I already do. Sweet. How can we find your music? I know you gave it to me for free, but what about everyone
1: else? Um, all the other unfortunates can go to fredmopple.com And I uh, have two CDs, one called My Mountain, which is folk songs about life in New England. That's kind of the more serious side. And then I have an album of funny songs called Crabby Road.
0: I like that. I saw the Crabby Road picture yes. to go along with that. Yeah, yeah. Were the Beatles upset?
1: They haven't said anything to me yet, but I'm waiting to hear from their lawyers <laughs> or Paul and Ringo's lawyer. Anyway,
0: let's move on to New Hampshire in general. One quirky aspect of our state is its odd town names. I mean, Frostheaves. There's a good example. Mm-hmm. Your town takes the cake. But what about Effingham? Like they're afraid to cuss properly?
1: <laughs> yeah, probably. Yes, sir. Dumber. Mm-hmm. Not and something to be proud of. Dartmouth is right next to that, you yeah. Where? I don't know.
0: <laughs> you know what's really funny? You know what tourists they say we are.
1: <laughs> I've I've had friends. New England names are funny. I can remember traveling around with some friends and they they saw a sign and they said uh, Worcester. I said no, that's that's Worcester. And then they saw another sign and said, Gloucester. They said, no, that's Gloucester. And they said, okay, we're getting the hang of this. So that one there, that's Duster. No, that's Gloucester.
0: <laughs> Had to go mess it up yep. just to keep them on their toes. That's right. Then we got Dixville-Notch, which everyone knows mm-hmm. from presidential politics. I guess those are just the people who insist on voting at midnight, mm-hmm. right? They all move there?
1: It was just so they could do that. All 12 of them, yes, sir.
0: <laughs> and Beans Purchase, what do you think goes on there?
1: They probably purchase beans to go with their brown bread.
0: They're probably vegetarians there.
1: They could very well be. Yeah.
0: My kids should move there.
1: They're vegetarians. They're on their way. Well, okay. Well, there you go. I think it's that generation. You know, beans are vegetarian. Exactly. (laughs) So,
0: are they vegan though?
1: Uh, They yes, and also (laughs) non-GMO and (laughs) gluten-free and locally sourced. I should check all the boxes. Got a, just got everything there. Yes, sir.
0: Alec Baldwin and Bernie Sanders hide out in Vermont. But we have bigger names here in New Hampshire. Ghislaine Maxwell, Walter White, Christian Gerhart's writer. They all hid out here. So did J.D. Salinger. And I think we should market New Hampshire as the ultimate hideout destination. And you know our favorite son, Ken Burns, up there in Walpole? that documentary filmmaker, he could easily turn that quirk into an Oscar-worthy series, much like Netflix did with Oklahoma mm-hmm. and the Tiger King series. Mm. What do you think? Uh, You're creative.
1: Yeah, the problem is, it, is finding the people who are hiding out here because they're pretty <laughs> well hid. They are, like, in the woods. In the, deep. In, in the woods. But that's the thing about, you know, in a, in a new, small New England town, you go to your local coffee shop and you sit there at the counter, and you have coffee, and there'll be two people sitting on either side of you, and they, you know, they, they both look like bums, you know, and one of them is the town drunk, and the other one is a Pulitzer Prize winner. And sometimes it's the same person. Right. And that's how they stay secret. That's absolutely right. Yes. Sir.
0: So I'm going to run through a list of things that I'd never heard of until I moved to New England. Help me understand the purpose. I'll
1: do the best I can, Christina. Fluff or nutter. Fluff nutter. It was invented in New England, and it's peanut butter and marshmallow fluff on bread, and uh, it's just delightful.
0: It sounds like breakfast, though.
1: Because it's sweet. It's a a sandwich. It's dessert disguised, you know, trying to pass as a sandwich.
0: I think a kid must have invented it then. Perhaps. Tom Brady.
1: Who? (laughs) We disown Tom Brady. We know no Tom Brady. Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts. Now, that's an odd one there because... um, uh, most of the Dunkin' Donuts in New England, uh, a lot of them anyway, are owned by people of Portuguese descent. And I have taken a flight one time to uh, Portugal, and there was people getting on the plane carrying big boxes of Dunkin' Donuts. Now, Portugal is a place that is known for its wonderful pastry, but these folks was bringing Dunkin' Donuts there. So, it's like bringing the, McDonald's to France. It's exactly the only thing I can think of, Christina. Is it's a it's actually a cult? That's the only explanation I have. But we love our folks love their 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 uh, uh, Dunkin' Donuts coffee. And my the missus would say it's because it's such an unassuming coffee. This is not Starbucks we're talking no, about. No, it completely it's flies not, under the radar. It's not Pete's, you know. <laughs>
0: But you know what? There are traffic jams. There are cars into the street waiting to get into the Dunkin' Donuts drive through It's like uh, yeah. church in uh, yeah. Oklahoma. It,
1: uh, yeah, you're right. It is. It's, it's, uh, it's either a cult or else it's, it's some kind of uh, addiction. Maybe a combination of the two.
0: So, fraps.
1: Fraps. Well, that's just the, the Yankee word for milkshake.
0: Why do you have to do that? Why can't you leave a good word alone?
1: Well, because we were here first. <laughs> So our word counts.
0: (laughs) Candlepin bowling, we don't have that. No. In the rest of the country.
1: No, that's because uh, the other kind of bowling is we just thought it was too easy. So we had to figure out a way to make it harder. It is so hard. It is hard. And that's because then that's that's the Yankee way of life. If something is too easy, we have to fix it.
0: We need to add a little frustration into the mix. That's
1: right, because life is frustrating and you kids just should learn to get over it.
0: It gives you grit.
1: Exactly, duck boots. Duck, duck boots. Uh, I got nothing.
0: (laughs) LL Bean would be upset.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Split top hot dog buns. Why do you need to cut it the wrong way?
1: Well, again, uh, we was here first, so but it's funny. The thing, you know, in New England, we will put anything in a bun, including like we'll take a really expensive lobster. And take it out of the shell and mix it with some mayonnaise and put it in a bun. which uh, People from other parts of the country that drives them, thinks that's crazy. But people in other parts of the country, like Minnesota, they put food on a stick. So yes. we're not going to take any grief from them for putting food in a bun.
0: And that lobster roll, we charge $20, $25
1: for it. Hey, yeah, exactly. Not yes, like sir. a
0: dollar hot dog at you the know, state fair. You know,
1: lobster's a funny thing, Christina. It is. Because... You imagine who was the first guy to eat a lobster? That guy must have been starving.
0: But those were regular blue-collar guys back in the day, it, because lobster was so abundant.
1: That true? they used wasn't to feed it? was the upper
0: class eating no, that? No,
1: no, they fed it. But I'm thinking of the very, very first person to eat a lobster. Because do really, you know him? If you you seem old. No, thank you, dear. But no, <laughs> not that old. But you know, if if there was a contest for the you know, least edible-looking food on the planet. Lobster would win, hands down. Not the oyster? The lobster would even beat out the oyster. Hmm.
0: Okay. Remember a few summers ago when we had millions of squirrel murders here in New Hampshire? Mm. A respected mammalogist told me that squirrels had too much sex in 2017 then we had a dry weather pattern in the summer of 2018, and those two factors led to a mass squirrel migration in search of food. Mm. Add in all of the cars, and then the murder rate skyrocketed. Yeah, yeah. Were people in frost heaves killing squirrels with abandon that summer, too? Or was it just in my area of New Hampshire?
1: No, we were not killing squirrels with abandon. We were killing them with our cars and trucks and (laughs) anything else we could get on the road. (laughs) Because they're squirrels, Christina. I mean, you know, they're basically just kind of pests. People think, oh, aren't they cute and fuzzy? But they are until they get under the eaves of the house and chew a hole and then get inside the house and spend the whole night running up and down the... (laughs)
0: That's the most annoying sound. I have never seen so much wildlife anywhere else like I have while living here in New Hampshire. Moose as tall as the first floor of my house, porcupines, turkey, deer, fox, fisher cats, owls, hawks, rabbits, coyotes, all in my yard, Mm. except that moose, which was just around the corner from my house. Mm. I've seen women without makeup, bears, too. Which brings me to my next question: We only have black bears here in New Hampshire. Are they better than brown bears?
1: No, I, I don't think so. It, and we're not prejudiced against brown bears. You know, that's good. if they if they want to come over from Vermont or wherever, that's that's okay. They they would be welcome here. You know, as, as long as they don't take work away from our native bears, then that's okay.
0: I got a lot of flack when I moved here to work at WMUR, the local TV station. People were always complaining that I wore too many turtlenecks on the air. And back in Oklahoma, I had the opposite problem. They thought I dressed too provocatively because when I was pregnant, they used to complain that my clothes were too tight and I covered up too much of Arkansas on the weather map. Never mind, they were supposed to be paying attention to the weather in Oklahoma, Not Arkansas or my uterus. Which brings me to an important question. How many flannel shirts are too many in one man's closet?
1: There's no such thing as too many flannel shirts. You can never have too many. You know, in New England, Christina, flannel is our basic, it's it's a fashion statement. It's our only fashion statement, really.
0: What's your favorite flannel shirt color?
1: Well, I have uh, your basic red and black. Your basic black with little red, you know, kind of pattern. But Classic. I do have a blue and green, and I have I have a whole I have a whole wardrobe of flannel.
0: Are some fancier than others, like some church worthy, and others
1: no just the- for the dump. No, um, the flannel, it's the, the suspenders. I do have my fancy go-to-meet and suspenders. And then I have my everyday suspenders, so that's the variety. And then I also do have a little a flannel bow tie that I will put on on occasion for really special things like funerals of close friends.
0: That sounds handsome.
1: It is quite.
0: I know you're already starting to organize next year's Hay Festival. Mm-hmm. In Oklahoma, we had the annual... Testicle festival, Mm. but your festival sounds so much more appetizing and safer. What events are part of that hay festival?
1: Well, we have uh, we always have a a Miss Hay Bale contest, and and uh, last year that was won by Jessica Willett, a lovely seventeen year old. Well, she was lovely until the middle of the uh, parade. Uh, We made a float for her out of bales of hay she was riding on. And it wasn't until the middle of the parade that she figured out she was actually allergic to hay. (laughs) I think she wishes she hadn't been wearing that skimpy two-piece bathing suit, you know. But we also, I come up with an idea for a hay carving contest. You take a nicely, tightly packed bale of hay, and then you use a a chainsaw to carve it like they do with the lumberjacks, you know. And uh, the problem was all the carvings pretty much looked like piles of hay when they were done. (laughs) So, so everyone won. Yeah, so that didn't Or everyone work. lost. Everyone lost, and then the other thing we did, we thought we'd do a hay palace, like out in the Midwest they do ice palaces, yes. you know. So we would oh, we'll do a hay palace. The problem was we didn't count on how cheap the farmers were, and we didn't get that much hay. So we ended up with a hay garage. It's still kind of interesting though.
0: One cold Sunday morning, my husband and I had just rolled out of bed, sort of like you guys roll in the hay at your festival, and we couldn't be bothered to make our own breakfast, so we threw on heavy coats over our pajamas and we headed to the diner in that next town Milford. After breakfast we walked to our car and who was walking out of the local barber shop but Mitt Romney. Mm. The corporations are people politician.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you know how he has this perfect hair. Well, it was even more perfect mm. in person. And apparently he had just finished shooting a TV commercial inside the barber shop. I took a picture of my husband with Mitt But instead of turning around and leaving gracefully after that photo op, we had to back up as we left because we didn't want him to see that ratty, tangled bedhead on the back (laughs) of our heads. So, my point is, you can literally run into any presidential candidate here in New Hampshire, and I don't know, I guess that's a good thing or a Mm. bad thing, depending Mm. on how much you love politics. The candidates will even come to your home and they'll brag about themselves while you and your friends... Sit around and feign interest, and I'm wondering: Do you have any presidential candidate stories?
1: Well, it is kind of interesting that we are such a small state, and uh, we get paid so much attention every four every four years. Um, in fact, we get so many folks coming here, and it's interesting when they first come, they will say that they're not running for president, which makes right, you wonder right, right. why are they here. <laughs> this is not Beverly Hills, folks. You know, this is not Malibu Beach, but. But we, we actually come up with a travel package to, to sell to these folks, and we call it the not officially a presidential entrant or NOPE package. <laughs> and, you know, we, we have our state senator, um, uh, Lester Milfoil. he welcomes them and gives them the key to the city – he doesn't actually give them the key because we can't find the key. We lost it, but it's sort of a you know honorary key to this city.
0: Everyone leaves their doors unlocked anyway. Yeah, anyway, it's a safe so state.
1: they don't need the key. And then we show them, you know, we give them a tour of of local industry, which. We don't have a lot of industry either, you know, business or personal. But we'll take them to like the Frosty's House of Pizza. where uh, Walter Dunton, the chef there, he, he's come up with a special pizza um, just for politicians. He advertises it as having uh, four kinds of meat, all the vegetables, extra cheese on us with special sauce on a homemade crust at a bargain price. When you get it, it's just a thin crust with a little sauce on it. And he calls that the campaign promise pizza. <laughs> Hoping they'll get the message, but, you know, not much. So, so we try to take advantage of these politicians when they do come to New Hampshire.
0: The motto of my home state, Oklahoma, was the brass buckle of the Bible Belt. And that was until they improved it. And now it's Oklahoma is Okay. Mm. New Hampshire's motto, live free or die. And I think, though, that we deserve more choices than just death or freedom. Mm -hmm. What do you think?
1: Well, I have actually come up for what I think could be uh, another motto for the state of New Hampshire. And it's kind of a cautionary one. It's a phrase we use all the time anyway. Break for moose. I think that, you know, welcome to New Hampshire. Break for. I even wrote a song about that because I think it's... It's at least give people a little bit of advice in your state motto.
0: Because if you don't break for moose, they're going to break, break your you. car. I,
1: exactly. If, if, they're going to
0: break your body, if too. there's a
1: run-in between you and a moose, guess who's going to walk away from that one? <laughs> not you.
0: I think it's time now that we should come clean. Fred's not your real name. Yes, it is. You, I've heard, go by Ken Sheldon. What are you trying to pull? And why are you trying to resist laughing? Something's up here. <laughs> now you're putting me off by drinking water.
1: People often confuse me with my good friend, Ken Sheldon. And uh, it's, it's a common mistake. But, um, but no, we are two separate people. I could be happy to get Ken to come over here and talk to you if you want me to. Oh, wait. Ken. All right, all right.
0: Hi. You have the same mustache as Fred.
1: Which is why people often confuse us, Christina. It's, it's, I, I, you know, I try to explain the difference between Ken Sheldon and Fred Marple, but they just, they just confuse. We're twin, twin sons of different mothers, you know.
0: Okay, I get it. Yeah. Not to make this about me, but
1: Go I might right as well. Go right ahead.
0: The crime book that you're writing hits a little too close to home. I was born in Germany on August 13th, the same day that William K. Dean was murdered. Hmm. Could you give my audience some background on that event?
1: Sure. Uh, August 13th, 1918, the waning days of, of World War One. A farmer from Jaffrey, New Hampshire, kind of a gentleman farmer. Anyway, he lived on a hilltop in um, in Jaffrey, New Hampshire, with a good view of Mount Monadnock. And uh, he went down to town one night. He came back up, he had to do some errands. He came back up. He told his wife he was going to go milk his cows. He milked his cows at midnight because he liked to sleep late in the morning. And
0: oh, I had no idea you could do that. Well, apparently, if you train
1: them, yeah, because he and his wife used to stay up and read into the late hours. Anyway, he went off, said to his wife he was going to go out and uh, milk the cows, and he never came back. And in the morning, and she was a woman who was afflicted with kind of early dementia, and she was very worried. She went out looking for him, couldn't find him, called neighbors, and people started looking for him. Eventually, they found him in a cistern on his property right near the house, and he had been strangled and uh, hog-tied, and his body dumped in this cistern, and uh, it Right away, there were a few suspicions about who it could have been, but the the crime has remained unsolved. Uh, but I spent a lot, a lot of time writing. I was given a grant to write a play about this for the hundredth anniversary of the event, and then based on that, I also wrote a book that's coming out next spring from uh, Down East Books called Deep Water. And uh, yeah, so it's uh, and it. The interesting thing was that there's a lot, there were some people that thought it was German spies that had done him in. There were rumors at the time that lights were being flashed from Mount Monadnock, which you can see Boston from Mount Monadnock. Mm-hmm. So it's the kind of thing, at first you hear about it, you go, well, that's a crazy idea. But then the more you read about it, I think, because eh, there were German spies in the U.S. at that time. Um, and that all comes into the book.
0: What made you want to write that book?
1: Well, I had done so much research for the play that uh and I and in a play that lasts 90 minutes you only have time for a certain amount of information. I had much more to say about it. And the other thing to be honest, Christina was um William Dean was a good man. He was a patriotic man, and I felt like he deserved to have the truth come out to the whatever degree it could come out. So, and uh, uh, then I was, and I was given a grant to write the book by the Jaffrey Historical Society. We were very nice about that. And that allowed me to take the time, which was a, it took me a year, to read the thousands and thousands of pages of FBI documents and all the newspaper accounts and um, trial transcripts and such to, to write this book.
0: Everyone knows that story out here, don't they?
1: In the town of Jaffrey it's it's uh it's pretty well known. People grow up hearing about the murder of William Dean. Um and at the time it was big news. It was written up in all the Boston papers. It was up there with like Lizzie Borden, you know. But then after the war ended, the and there was they didn't they never, you know, accused anybody of doing it because there's a lot of politics that goes into it, uh, in terms of hiding people, protecting people perhaps. And so interest in it kind of kind of faded away.
0: And that might be part of the reason we don't know the whole story to this day?
1: Oh, absolutely. It's all in the book.
0: <laughs> what else are you working on? You are a playwright. You're an author. What else have you been doing?
1: Um, I've written three novels for kids based on... Um, it's the the premise is a, a boy goes to the town dump and he goes to the swap shop. Do you have a swap shop Oh, in we your do. Town? Okay. The Boy Scouts built it. It's a place where you go to drop off stuff you don't need anymore. And but someone else wants. You know, somebody else may want. He goes there and he finds a trunk full of old clothes. And he he actually doesn't know it's full of old clothes. He can't open it till he gets it home. He thinks it might have treasure in it or something. He opens up and it's full of old clothes and he's like, Ugh, you know, until he starts like fooling around with the clothes and finds out that each one of the items in the trunk gives him a different superpower. Oh, that sounds like
0: a nice story. He has
1: to figure out where these things came from and how to use these because there's no instructions and some of these things are kind of broken or whatever and so he's got to figure out how to use these things without killing himself and he's got to deal with all the stuff of middle school like, you know, Harley Davison who wants to kill him and and so I wrote that book and then I wrote a sequel and it's a trilogy now and it's called, the trilogy is called The Loser's League because um, he makes some friends and they get involved in the story. So, uh, that, and then um, I'm working on a, a novel, a literary-type novel, set in Fred's hometown of, of Frost Thieves, and uh, finishing that up, and, and then musical projects, recording uh, for, for kids and folk tunes and stuff. And-
0: Have you spent your whole life as a creative person?
1: I think so. My mom used to say that she could tell when I was coming home, she'd be in the kitchen doing something, and the window was open, and she could hear whistling coming down the street, and she knew I was coming home. Oh,
0: that's a really sweet memory. Yeah,
1: yeah. When I was in high school and trying to decide what I was going to do when I grew up, uh, when I went to college, I, I mentioned at the dinner table one night that I thought I might major in English, and my dad said, at the time, he said, English? How are you going to make any money in English? And I've often said that of all the things he told me growing up, that was the one thing he had to be right about. Except that later on, when I told him I was going to, I wanted to be a doctor for a while. I was a pre-med art major at the University of New Hampshire. Hmm. And the medical school. i would never heard of that no. major. Uh, and it, well, there was pre-med and then you could major in whatever else. So Right, I took, dual I took, major. I, I essentially, it was a dual major. But the medical schools of America were not amused, which is why I'm a writer today. <laughs> but when I decided that, I, I did get into physician's assistant school, but then I decided it really wasn't for me. I wanted to be a writer. And at that point, my dad said, you got to do what you want to do in life. You know? Yeah, I think and, that's always good advice. Yeah, you got to do what you're passionate about. Every, I feel like every one of us was made with gifts. And to not, to not figure out who you are and what you were made to do It's like those topiary um, plants you see that people like carve into the shape of a duck. Mm -hmm. Well, only a a fool thinks it's really a duck. You know, it's a bush. You know, and it should be what it is. And that's true of us too, I think.
0: That's why I'm here with you. There you go. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you,
1: Christina. It's been great fun.
0: Learn more about Fred at fredmarple.com. That's marple, like maple, but add an R. If you don't like what you've heard, don't bother with this next request. But if you do, I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review my work at Apple Podcasts. Follow Diary of a Nation on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Happy New Year!